Today we'll be looking at uh, Psalm 32 um, in, in this uh, short summer series of the uh, Psalm Blessed uh, Connection. And, and these psalms aren't like naturally put together or written at the same time. It's, it's just uh, uh, Stephen had this idea and, and, and we're going with it. So we, we didn't want to convey the message that, that these were all like a collection just uh, specifically meant to go together, but they do go together. Uh, they go quite well. And uh, Psalm 1 really kind of sets the tone for the entire Psalter that we need to plant ourselves in the Word of God and specifically Jesus the Word. You know, it's, it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we have a hope of salvation, a hope of redemption, of, of new life and, and eternity with God in heaven to be restored uh, with that relationship. That's, that's the big theme of the Bible, and today is, is no less a part of that. Uh, today we'll be looking at uh, forgiveness with God, being restored to that relationship with Him, and, and, uh, and, and just the burden and the weight of sin being lifted off of us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, I, I've certainly had uh, my trials and my troubles and, and burdens in my life, I think we all have. It's just a matter of, of kind of the severity, not if. Um, and uh, I, I certainly could, could talk about the most severe, of course, being my salvation story, or the, the most physically severe, uh, you know, the story of my back surgery, and then, and then that follows up with the most financial one, uh, uh, you know, paying for that back surgery. And, and, uh, but I wanted to share one that I feel like connects with the point of the psalm better. And it's, it's kind of a minor one, but uh, a little humorous. And, and uh, if some of you know the story of how Danelle and I met and, and uh, got married, uh, we knew each other for quite some time. And, uh, uh, you know, I had a crush on her for quite a while, and, and that kind of is a story in itself. But uh, uh, on, the, on the, the, the time when we decided that we would, would give dating a try, when, when, when my uh, hope was, was realized and, and it wasn't just a, a, a wishful thinking, um, I remember a few days later, this anxiety crept up. And I was like, oh man, what, what if I say or, or do the wrong thing? And I, I think it lasted a couple days. It, this isn't a big burden. This isn't, uh, didn't last very long. And I remember I was praying and just thinking about, like, man, I, I don't want to mess this up. And, and then I, I kind of stopped and saw the big picture. And I, I realized, yeah, we, we have been friends for a while. We, we worked together at the seminary library. I would go uh, eat meals at her house because of a mutual friend on Monday nights. And we went to the same church, and, and, and we were both uh, uh, kind of leaders in, in the singles group. And, and we, we knew each other well. And that wasn't what freed me. What freed me was the next thought. And I thought, you know what? I've already said and done stupid things in front of her. I was like, I can't, I can't, she knows me, and she still likes me. And, and I was like, she knows I'm a goofball, and, and, and we're dating. And so that burden was lifted. That anxiety ceased to exist because I was free to be me. And, and so uh, today, we're going to see the biggest burden 
the biggest need in our life and how God takes care of that. Uh, so if we'll all turn to Psalm 32. A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. As we look at Psalm 32, the main idea is right there in the first two verses. There is blessing for those who lay themselves fully before God, seeking forgiveness. And uh, the psalmist is David. And uh, if I forget, you know, I, I, you know, there's so many different psalmists, Asaph and Solomon and others. And so sometimes I just say solemn, psalmist, cause, but I know it's David. And it's interesting because I can't help uh, think that of, of David's sin with Bathsheba. Um, you know, we, we see in, later in, in that he, he feels oppressed like the heat of the summer. And, and some commentators have thought that might be actually literal, that God used an, an exceptionally oppressive summer heat to get the, uh, David's attention. Or, or figurative, uh, we're not sure. But you go back and you look at, at, at a lot of David's uh, troubles, and some lasted years. Uh, 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 you know, he's on the run from Saul, and then later in life he's on the run from his son Absalom, and, and those were certainly difficult. And, and, uh, and then his, his census, he took a, a census without trusting God. And, but God came to him fairly soon after the census, and, and so doesn't quite fit. Really, the, his sin with Bathsheba fits this scenario the best. Uh, you go back and you read in, in uh, 2 Samuel 11, and it starts out saying it was the springtime, a time when kings went off to war, and David's back at home at the palace. And then you all know the sin. He, he sees Bathsheba, they, they commit adultery, and she tells him he's pregnant, and then he conspires, he tries to cover it up and be like, oh, no one will know. Everyone knows he's the king. And, and then that didn't work, and then he kills Uriah, Bathsheba's uh, husband. And, and maybe he thought he got away with it, or, or maybe not. But then Nathan later confronts him, uh, and, and, and he eventually loses that child. 
And so we're not as sure exactly how long this sin took and how long the, the cover-up and the repentance took, but, but it's definitely in its shortest frame at least three or four months, maybe even possibly longer. So he did go through a summer during that time of sin, and that would have been right when he was trying to cover it up, right when he was trying to hide everything. And so I think it really fits well and yet David has been open about other psalms connected to this time of his life. So he could have been just as open with this psalm. And I think David doesn't put any specific context into this psalm for the very reason he doesn't want us to say, this is, this is only for the really big stuff. This psalm is for every stuff, every burden, every sin, every transgression, every little thing. That, that we have to deal with. In, in fact, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges as we share Christ in, in, in our culture today is, is a lot of people think they're okay. A lot of people don't see this great burden of sin they have before a perfect and holy God. And, and, and then some people kind of couch it a little bit different. I've, I've, I've encountered this. I even saw a little of it in VBS this week. Oh, yeah, I have sin, but it's, it's not that bad. And so, so they're kind of given a little ground and, and saying, yeah, of course I have sinned before a perfect and holy God, but I'm not that bad. I'm okay, but we're not. In fact, our, our society kind of already has this in here. We, we collectively, as a, as a society, kind of put different measures on sin, and, and we categorize them and, and say some are worse than others. And I, like if I went out and killed a mass murderer, y'all would kind of be going, well, that mass murderer kind of had it coming. That's not the worst thing in the world, you know. But if I went and, out and killed a little child, then you'd be like, seize him, string him up. You know, we, we react a lot more when, when the person sinned against is, is more innocent didn't deserve it well that's true we, we react that way because it's true and how do we react to sin against a perfect and holy God who's infinite in all his qualities that means the sin against him is infinite the offense is infinite and and we need to get that the more we see our sin for what it is the greater the redemption that we have, the greater the relief that we will live under when we have forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus tells a parable uh, to, to one of the Pharisees, and, and it starts out with a, a woman washing Jesus' feet with his hair, just a beautiful picture. She is so appreciative that, that Jesus cares about her, that Jesus thinks that she's worthwhile. She's a prostitute. No one thinks she's worthwhile. Everyone just uses her and tosses her aside, but Jesus didn't. And she finds freedom and forgiveness, and, and, and now she's crying and, and washing his feet with her tears and her hair. And, and the, the religious leader is, is, is thinking, if he knew what kind of woman it was that was washing his feet, he wouldn't let her get near him. But of course, Jesus knew exactly. And he, he challenged that Pharisee. He, he challenged uh, that teacher of the law. And he, he basically concluded like uh, with, with this statement, he who is forgiven much is loved much. 
the more we understand just how great a debt we had before our God, the more we just love him and appreciate him. And, and the psalmist is trying to convey this too, this, this freedom of the burden being lifted. And so uh, we see the main idea in the first two verses, and, and we see in this couplet, we see four parts, and, and their three parts are, are the same. You know, he describes of being forgiven, of sin, of, of being, uh, let me just read it for myself. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So we've got these three parts, and they're all similar, and, and, and we should be blessed, and, and God has forgiven, he's covered over, he's, 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 he's removed sin and transgression and iniquity. And so the psalmist is very beautifully just describing our sin in just so many different ways, describing our freedom in so many different ways. And then the fourth part is the one that's different. And, and it should be what we kind of clue into because it's part of the, the first three, but it's said differently. In whom and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now we'll, we'll probably talk about this more later, but that's, that's the whole key. He who is forgiven much is loved much. Don't hold back with God. Don't, don't, Hold on to parts of your life. Don't hold on to parts of your sin. Lay your whole self before God because your whole self will be redeemed. Your whole iniquity will be covered over. Everything. And don't hold back with God. In fact, that's exactly what the psalmist did and he describes his personal trial in, in verses three and four. He was holding back. He was trying to, to decide that this isn't a big deal. I can get away with this. It really makes me think of Bathsheba, but I won't, I won't die on that hill. And he, and he says uh, that his bones were wasting away, uh, his, his groaning all day, night, and long, and, and it was like an oppressive summer. I don't know about you. I mean, everyone's divided on this, but uh, man, that's exactly how I see summertime, oppressive weighing down on me. Uh, in fact, uh, Vivaldi saw it that way too. You listen to the four seasons and summer is very oppressive. Go listen to summer. It's like, oh man, oh, you know. And, and our, our burdens are that way. I, I, I don't like having conflict in relationships. Uh, I, I struggle with dealing with conflict correctly. I, I run away from it. And, and, and I want it resolved, I want it fixed, I want it corrected as soon as possible. In fact, I, I, I kind of even relate to God that way, which is okay. You know, uh, we, we often remind each other a good way to remember how to pray is acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And if you want to know more about that later, you can come up to me, uh, I'd be happy to share that with you. But I actually often pray cats. And, and just like Isaiah in his, his vision in Isaiah 6, he was confronted with his sin before a holy God, and, and that vision could not move forward because he was like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And then, and then the angel uh, uh, ceremonially purified him so that he could continue on in that vision. 
And I feel that way too sometimes. I know that I've sinned with God, and I'm like, man, I need to get right with him first before I can adore him, before I can love him. It just seems sometimes in me just disingenuous to, to say, I love you, but I haven't dealt with this sin yet. I want to deal with that sin. I want to get it taken care of, and I want to just praise him and love him back as wholly as I know how. And so it doesn't really matter what order you do it, just do it all. <laughs> um, and so uh, he held back, and, 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 and it was wasting away. There's even a psychological principle. I, I think it's called cognitive dissonance, if you want the fancy name for it. But it's this whole idea that when your beliefs and your behavior are in conflict with one another, it starts to disrupt your life. Um, and, and it can eventually manifest itself physically. And you, you're sick, your immune system is compromised, and, and, and other things. Now, truth be told, not all of us experience this. Uh, we're, we're very good at lying to ourselves. We're very good at deluding ourselves. But some people are not. And this creates this dissonance. This creates this conflict. And it starts expressing itself in, in physical pain. Now, I, I don't want to say that... that that we should say God is causing that, but God uses it. If, if we're in pain, if, if, if the trials in our life are causing us trouble and it causes us to turn to him through help, God uses that, and he's going to. And so this, this uh, David was, was oppressed. He was, he, was, he was downtrodden. It was affecting his life. And then finally, he turns to God. Finally, he seeks forgiveness. And I tried to, uh, you know, we're not 100% sure on the meaning of Selah, but I think the best meaning is kind of a dramatic pause. It might be a musical term even, you know, because these were psalms. So it might have been a pause in the music, but, but the psalmists also use it as a pause in their thoughts. And, and I think that's the best translation. I tried to read it that way. And if you look at the Selahs in this verse... Uh, you got the first four verses, and then verse 5, it, it gets a Selah all by itself. And of course, that's the turning point in, in this conflict. That's the turning point in David's heart. He finally got down on his knees and, and asked for forgiveness. In verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You notice all those three different ways of talking about sin he in, included again in his confession. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the turning point. That's, that's the cure. That's the fix. And that's what we try to teach every year at VBS. And that's what like almost every sermon we ever preach turns to is that, that God is a holy God. He created us. He's perfect. And he loves us. But we sinned. And we've all sinned. Our, our, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned. Every person since has sinned. And, and, and in fact, that's a tenet of, of our beliefs that, that every human being, given enough time, given enough age, will sin. And, and they will have that before God. And, and they cannot make up for it. We cannot pay for it. Um, uh, for for the, our Sunday school classes that, that are, are going to be covering this after the sermon, um, I encourage you to find, uh, and this just popped in my head, so I don't have it ready, to find uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, it's one of my favorite parables 
And, and the way that sin is described is, is somewhat humorous because we've got this servant that owes the king money. The king is, is God and the servant is just a kind of representative of us all. And he owes the king so much money that if you figured it out for that day and time, 2,000 lifetimes would not be enough for that servant to pay the king, which is really ridiculous. You know, no king would let a servant get that far in debt. He would call him to account a lot sooner. But, but Jesus is humorously trying to describe the quality of our sin before a perfect and holy God. It's, it's infinitesimal. It's impossible to pay off. And yet God in the parable and in David's life and in our lives and through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, but God took care of it. God is the hero of the story of history. And it's a love story. And he loves us. And without setting aside his justice, his perfection, he takes on the price through his son, Jesus Christ. And he asks us to accept it. He asks us to receive it. And that's, there's no step beyond that. There's no uh, way to to circumvent it. You just don't suddenly wake up and you're a Christian like, oh, wow, I'm a Christian. You, you have to ask God to forgive you. You have to ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And, and that's how he decided we would receive this great gift is by trusting in Jesus is what we call it. And that burden is lifted. I remember in my salvation story, I, I, I pretty much... You know, looking at it now, it wasn't really that bad. But at the time, I, I felt like my life was destroyed. My life was ruined. And that's exactly where God needed me to be. And, and not in an audible voice, but just kind of in my heart, I kind of felt like God was saying, this is what your life will lead to when you're in control. Why don't you give your life to me? I'd grown up in the church. I knew what that meant. I knew that meant asking Jesus to forgive me and be my Lord and Savior. And I pretended for a long time. I wanted that forgiveness, but I didn't want a Lord and Savior. I, I just didn't want to go to hell, but I wasn't willing to give my life to Jesus. And that day I finally did. Just that, that turning point for David is in verse 5 for this burden. That was my turning point. It changed everything. Didn't mean I didn't have struggles and other trials down the road, but it still changed everything. And so then the psalmist, after this turning point of forgiveness, I, I really like verse 6 and 7, but it's, it's kind of strange because it feels like he's speaking to us, he's telling us to do something, but he's speaking to God. Because <laughs> the psalmist says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, not to him. So the psalmist is still very much focused on himself and, and, and the realization of, of what he's done and how God has forgiven him and lifted that burden from his soul. And so even though he's technically speaking to us now, I really still feel like the psalmist is speaking to God. And, and, and uh, you know, just like Jesus says, deal with the plank in your own eye first before getting a speck in your brother or your sister. And so, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I don't know if you remember that old 80s hymn, You Are My Hiding Place, but uh, it's true. When you're right with God, he becomes your refuge. He becomes the person you can run to when things get cruddy. And I hope you feel like that. Even, even when who you've sinned against is him, like Jonah. And he did a lot to get Jonah's attention. He did a lot uh, to get him back on course. And in fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that, that we should see discipline as, as just proof that God loves us. Because a father disciplines his child. God is going to do whatever it takes to get you in his kingdom. He did that through Jesus Christ. And God is going to do whatever it takes to, to help you walk in that relationship, to help you grow in Christ and to, to enjoy that relationship. That's, that's the blessing of being forgiven. We're restored to God. We're restored to that fellowship, that relationship. And he wants us to enjoy it, not, not in the future one day in heaven. He wants us to enjoy it today. And that's why in, in Lazarus' resurrection, I forget which, it, it was Mary or Martha, but Jesus says, I am the resurrection today. Not one day when I die on the cross, not one day when you put faith in that, not one day when you go to heaven. Today, God intends for you to be blessed. Today, right now, if, if you're dealing with a burden if you have something that's weighing down your soul, I encourage you, do not put it off. That's what the psalmist is saying uh, in verse 6. Um, At a time when you may be found. In fact, Paul does the same thing in 2 Corinthians. Towards the end of chapter 5, he, he mentions that we are ambassadors for Christ. And then he says, we implore you. To get right with God. And then and, and it, the kind of the argument keeps going in, in chapter 6. And he says in, in verse 2, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. God may bring us back around because I'm stubborn. I need to hear things again and again. Uh, God may bring us back around to the same point, And that's because of his graciousness. But he doesn't have to. And, and we never know. Jesus called the man who built bigger barns and planned to enjoy his life a fool because he had never gotten right with God. And he was focused on worldly goods. Don't put it off. Don't wait. And the psalmist talking to God is saying that's important. When God speaks to you, the time to deal with it is then and now. But if, like me, you're stubborn... And you realize, man, I wish I would have dealt with it then. Deal with it then, because that's you regretting something that you should have done earlier. Deal with it then. So the time is always now to deal with it. But if you put it off and God brings it back up to you, deal with it then. Don't put it off. I told the, I told the children a, a little about Pascal's wager. It's kind of complicated. Um, but I said, you know, I don't really like like it. I, I feel like it's a good argument to tell people they should really look into who God is and what he's saying through his word and, and, and they should really investigate it. I, I don't think it convinces anyone to get saved. And so I said, this is Ken's proposition. 
You know, if I put a box in front of you and there's a million dollars in it, but I said there's only a .01 chance that, that it actually has a million dollars in it, would you look anyway? And they, of course, they all said yes. <laughs> and I said, well, what if I put it in a puzzle box and you knew it was going to take you a couple hours? It was a really tough puzzle box. Would you try and solve the puzzle anyway and look inside? And again, the answer is yes. And so don't put it off. Look into God. See what he's saying in his word. Pray to him. Talk to him. And confess your sin to him. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you and be your Lord and Savior. And so we see in the psalmist that he, he's enjoying this, this freedom, this, this release, this blessing. And, and, and he's praising God. He's talking to him and just amazed at all that he has in God. And, and, and so that's why I say six and seven, God is good, do not wait. But it, it, he really just kind of flows right into the next point, encouraging others, verses eight and nine. And, and his encouragement started before because that's how we encourage one another, with our story. That's how we tell people how good God is, that we, we say, I've experienced God. I've experienced his goodness. And guess what? He offers it to anyone who wants to. And so that's exactly what the psalmist, what David is doing. He, 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 he's enjoying God's goodness. He's praising him. And then he's encouraging us to do the same in verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with, its, with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, I immediately think of the story of Balaam when I, I hear this verse. And, and, and I hear the psalmist saying, don't be stubborn like a, a mule or a donkey don't be stubborn. Don't put it off. Don't wait. I did that, and, it, and my bones were wasting away. Uh, don't do that, is what David is saying. And Balaam was stubborn. He sounds kind of righteous at first when you read the first time we see him, and the, and the, the pagan king is paying him to curse the nation of Israel. But, but, and he says, well, I, I, I'll try, but I, I can only do what, what Yahweh says which sounds really high and mighty, and he must have some knowledge of Yahweh, and, and, uh, but, but we, we find out later he, he, he just thinks Yahweh is one God among many. And he even speaks the truth about Yahweh. He couldn't do anything contrary to Yahweh. The demons spoke the truth to Jesus. They often would say the, the truth, but in an effort to thwart Jesus' ministry. And so he, he looks good at first, but he keeps trying to curse the nation of Israel for money. He's a scoundrel. And if you read the, the, the rest of the story where he shows up, it turns out he finally succeeds. He never succeeds in cursing them, but he finally succeeds in leading a portion of them astray to worship his god Peor. And when they finally get right with God, they kill him. Because he, he didn't worship God. He didn't know him. To know God is, is to know that he's the only one. To fully lay yourself before him is to forsake all other gods, all other idols, all other everything. And he never did that. And so, yeah, I, I get the stubbornness. 
And, and in Balaam's story, you, you get him beating a donkey that can talk, and he's not surprised by that, which I think is funny. Reminds me of the snake. Um, and, and there's this contrast of, of, of this beast knowing what is right better than him and can see the angel. And that's a big deal in the ancient world. To be compared to a beast was like one of the most offensive things you could do. To be called a dog, uh, to be called a beast, a senseless animal that only lives by instinct. In fact, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar was, was made to behave like a donkey and he gets turned into a beast. This is a big deal. And David's saying the same thing to us. Don't be like a beast. Don't be stubborn. And, and the only way that you go in the right direction is with a bit or, or, or bridle. Or it will not stay near you. Again, is the key turn of that section. So David is still on this same idea, don't put it off. You don't know if God will bring you back around to the same place. Don't be stubborn, don't put it off, don't be like a beast, or it will not stay near you. There is no promise of future forgiveness, of future grace, if you snub God today. It's just true. But God is gracious. I know that in my life. But don't count on that. Don't, don't press your luck. Don't put it off. You don't know what the future holds. And then finally, the psalmist moves right into encouraging others versus... Uh, uh, Oh, I did that one already. And finally, uh, we have the end result. The end result of being blessed, of, of, of giving in, of, of asking God forgiveness and laying yourself fully before him. And in verses 10 and 11, uh, many are the sorrows of the wicked. So he reminds us of the result of not doing that at first. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David really understood God's forgiveness. I love that about him. He knew that when God forgave you, it was full, it was complete, it was permanent, permanent and that sin never had to be brought before you again and that's why David can call himself righteous and that's why he calls us to be righteous and and that's how we are righteous by the blood of Christ by forgiveness in Jesus not because of anything we did if 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 it were on our merit and our our deeds I'd never be called righteous I'd never be called upright but when we have forgiveness uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the righteous. And that same passage where Paul implores us to become Christians, he says, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and David is saying it weird on purpose. This is profound. This is big. This is exactly the big picture of what God is doing and the, the release of the burdens of our soul. Not that Jesus took on our sin. He became sin. Not that we take on his righteousness. We become his righteousness. God looks upon us and sees the good works of his son. And that should release us. And so I end with our application. What will we do? 
Like I said, some of you might be feeling a burden right now. It might be financial or relational or, or, or physical or something else. And, and I, I'm, I would never jump to the conclusion like Job's uh, errant friends that you did something wrong to cause this. But I will say that God wants to use it for your good. God wants to use it to, to tell you that he loves you. And if you belong to him already, just to show you uh, how, how good he is and how much he can carry you through this. And if you don't belong to him, he wants to use it to get your attention, just like he did for David, just like I know he's done for me. The burden that you're feeling can be lifted. But maybe, like many in our society, you don't feel that burden. My hope is that you will start looking at it, start considering who God is and that he's real. And, and realize that you have sinned before him, that you cannot pay off. No matter how hard you try, no amount of good works will get you to heaven. No amount of anything else will get you to heaven but except for trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and asking him to forgive your sins. Don't put it off. Uh, in, in a moment, we'll close. Uh, benediction, singing. Uh, you can come talk to me. You can talk to Danny after it's over. Uh, any of our deacons or teachers, don't put it off. Talk to someone. And, and I'll be standing here at the front. But for those of us who have made that big decision, this isn't just a, you need to get saved. <laughs> this is a, are we living in the light of that salvation? Do we remember what it was like for that burden to be lifted off our soul? And the freedom that we found in Christ if you don't, if, uh, you need to remember that. You need to live in that each and every day. Uh, Jesus said in John eight thirty one and 32, uh, If you abide in my words, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. His disciples, not his converts, his disciples. We need to live in that freedom each and every day. And by living in it, we need to see the big picture, just like with Danelle. And I realize she already knows I'm a goofball. I got nothing to be worried about. The same with God. That's why Paul can say in Romans 12, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to live in that. And the trials that we face, the troubles that we face, the struggles, the burdens, and everything else pale in significance to, to the fact that we've been freed. The only thing the world can throw at us is temporary. It is not lasting. It will not go on for all eternity. All these troubles will fall away. All of them will pass away. And today we can live in that freedom. Not when the trouble passes, but in the midst of the trouble. We can live in that freedom today. And are we living that? Do we understand the resurrection? Because when we know that we've been forgiven much, we will love much. And are we passing it just like the David did? Are we passing it on to others? Are we encouraging others to do the same? Are we appealing to the goodness and the greatness of God? Are we sharing our story of how he released this great burden from our soul? And are we encouraging others to do the same? I hope the answer is yes. 
uh, that makes me think of Hezekiah. Pretty good king overall. You go back and read King Hezekiah. But he gets told, oh, you better settle your, your orders, put your life in, a, in, in, in rights, uh, you're about to die. And he, he like just goes down on his knees before God and just humbles himself in a great way, especially for a king. And God says, okay, you get 10 more years. What a great blessing. But I think that story is there. I think that God uses this to tell us more time isn't the answer. I'm the answer. Me, I'm the answer. Hezekiah does not use that extra 10 years well. That's where his life kind of goes downhill. And, and he gets judged for it, but he gets told in the judgment, the judgment won't come until the fourth generation. Or, or so, I forget exactly now. I think two of them were both grandchildren. So that's really the third generation. And what was his response? I'm okay. That's not me. That's my grandchildren. <laughs> I won't have to face that. That's horrible. Don't be like Hezekiah. Realize other people have burdens too. Realize that their greatest burden might be they need to get right with God and be a part of the solution. All we can do is encourage. All we can do is share. It's God that has to speak to them and convince them. It's them that has to trust him. But are we being a part of that? Let's pray.